Good morning. We went to Portugal. It's like 4.30 in the afternoon in Portugal. <laughs> Just saying. <clears throat> um, so we went to Portugal. It was so fun. And Anne, our family life pastor, they've been traveling. And really, the reason we went to Portugal was to negotiate with Anne to come back. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I just want to report that the negotiations went well. She is coming back, and you should see her around here in June. It'll be great. Um, so in Portugal, um, while sitting on the beach, um, looking out across the Atlantic Ocean as the sun went down, um, my mind, I tried to just ponder this idea and grasp what it meant that, you know, 600 years before, there were people maybe sitting on that same beach, looking out across the ocean and wondering what's out there. Isn't that fascinating to think about that vast ocean and people wondering what's out there? You know, it's bold and it's brave to go beyond where the maps stop. And people have this internal drive, this drive of life that compels people to do stuff, to reach out and take hold of things that are beyond so as I was pondering this idea of these people and not yet um, knowing what's on the other side of the ocean, it also stood out to me that God created in us, in each person, in, made in his image, he put this drive of life for things like exploring and finding and reaching out. And it's pretty powerful to think about God saying to each child born, go, create, have fun, improve, develop, you know, make things happen, expand. And all throughout history, people have been doing that. German pastor theologian Johann Baptist Metz wrote this. We are all members of a species that is not sufficient unto itself. So we're all members of a species that is not sufficient unto itself. We are all creatures plagued by unending doubts and restless, unsatisfied hearts. I think that speaks a little bit to this life force drive within us. The, the, there's not something sufficient in us to satisfy us, so we have to reach out. These unending doubts, this restless, unsatisfied heart that drives us to push out. And some of these things are these longings within us. These deeper things of life, you know, the search for meaning and purpose, you know, this looking for love, to love and to be loved and to connect relationally. It's also this, this wanting to make a mark, to leave a legacy in this life. And so this idea that all these doubts and this restlessness, this is Holy Saturday kind of stuff. Because Holy Saturday is the day where we live in between Friday, where Jesus died on the cross and broke the chains of sin and set us free and gave us victory. And then, of course, on Sunday, resurrection, Jesus rose and now gives us this hope and this promise that we too will rise and join him in heaven. But in between is Saturday, the in-between day. And in that in-between, that's where a lot of these longings reside and we live them out. So in this season of Lent, we are thinking about Holy Saturday. And this morning, my map is three T's, transition, tradition, and transformation. It's 
actually three truhs, if you think about it. Truhs. So it all begins with transitions. Susie has been, been reading this story up till now, Hope for the Flowers. And I want to begin at the beginning of this story. Begins, once upon a time, a tiny striped caterpillar burst from the egg which had been home for so long. Hello, world, he said. It sure is bright out here in the sun. Isn't that a great beginning and a great transition? You can't stay in the egg. You got to get out. The egg had been home. It might have been safe and secure and nice, but you have to transition out into life, and it's unknown. Goes on, I'm hungry, he thought, and straightway he began to eat the leaf he was born on. And he ate another leaf, and another, and another, and he got bigger, and bigger, and bigger. Until one day he stopped eating and thought, there must be more to life than just eating and getting bigger. It's getting dull. So Stripe crawled down from the friendly tree which had shaded and fed him. He was seeking more. There were all sorts of new things to find. Grass and dirt and holes and tiny bugs. Each fascinated him. But nothing satisfied him. Life, this drive of life to go find more. You know, whether we're considering this metaphor of the caterpillar moving into transition to become a butterfly, or our own human lives, where we also are looking forward to this second transition. Life begins with this simple drive to eat and get bigger. And then something more is required. There is more. And we have these beginning of these new hungers, different kind of hunger, a hunger for something more and better and bigger. But these desires, these deeper desires, they're a bit more complicated, a bit more elusive. You think about it, in some ways our pure hunger for food has trained us, you know, when you get hungry, you go eat a leaf. And it satisfies your hunger for a while. And then after a while, again, you get hungry and you go eat another leaf. And you just live that cycle of hunger. But these new drives, these new hungers and longing, they're not quite the same. They're not so clear. They're not so, like, able to consume and be satisfied in. No clear leaf to go and eat. You know, these deeper desires for meaning, desires for purpose, desires for love, you know, these desires that are in us that compel us. Stripe the caterpillar, you know, he went out looking for something. And as he looked around, he saw all the other caterpillars climbing up a caterpillar pillar. And he said, well, that must be what it's about. And so he participated in it. But as you and I know, the life drive within Stripe was not to go do a caterpillar pillar. 
It wasn't something there. His drive was this drive to become a butterfly, to transition again. And nothing in caterpillar life can satisfy what being a butterfly can satisfy. And so here we are, we human, way more advanced beings. How do we approach our life and our desires? Seems like we also just go and try to consume some stuff to satisfy these things. Go find it in work and doing something or achieving something. Go find a relationship and take it on and, like, that's going to satisfy. But satisfaction is elusive. Just like that Metz quote says, we are all members of a species that is not sufficient unto itself. We are all creatures plagued by unending doubts and restless, unsatisfied hearts. You know, Blaise Pascal wrote about this as well, and this is a paraphrase of a larger quote that somebody once did of Pascal, where it says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person, and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God and made known through Jesus Christ. You know, this God-shaped vacuum in our lives that is this drive and this, this compulsion, and we put all kinds of things in trying to satisfy it, but it doesn't fully satisfy. Augustine also wrote in similar fashion when he said, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Isn't that it? That desire for this second transition, this awakening to be connected once again to our Creator, this drive to fill that space with God once again. You know, we attempt to put things in there, but it doesn't fit, and we have a hunger and a yearning for more. You know, that first transition to, from egg or womb to birth is one transition. But now we have this second transition to consider. This second transition, which is really clear for caterpillars that they become a butterfly. It's like a physical transformation. But for us humans, it's more of an inside, not as visible transformation, a spiritual transformation that we must go through. It's interesting, Jesus uses this language of being born again. He, this guy, Nicodemus, came to Jesus to talk to him and find some things out. And here's what Jesus said to him in their conversation. Jesus said, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus was pretty much as confused then about that statement as we can be still today. To be born again, what does that mean? You think about it, as babies, we're born into this world. We are given bodies and souls. We are alive and present here on this earth to live. But Jesus says we need a second trans transition. We need to be born spiritually. And to be born again is to be given this spiritual life. You know, your spirit is now alive to God. It's responsive to God. It can commune with God, can connect with God. And this is the part of you, this 
spiritual life that is now alive in you, this is the part of you that continues on into heaven, which is amazing to think right now, sitting in this room, how powerful that there is something in you that will continue on into eternity, spiritually alive. I love the image that Ezekiel says in talking about this when he wrote, saying in God's voice, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What a powerful image of this new heart of flesh being given to us. But it's being put into our old bodies. It's being put into this earthly body. And this is Holy Saturday. That spiritual birth begins, but it's not finished. You know, we are spiritually like made alive, but it doesn't mean that we immediately go to heaven and are with God face to face and all suffering has ended. But instead that this begins here and now, we're given it in part. We're given this heart of flesh, but it's put into our old bodies. And I hope you can feel the tension in that. The tension of this new spiritual life that's alive in you and now pushing and compelling you in that way. But it's also in your body, which has its own patterns and habits and practices. So after transition, after being made spiritually alive, then we need to work on our traditions. You know, I'm using this word tradition not in the traditional way of like how you celebrate Easter traditions, but instead of more your personal traditions, your own habits and patterns and practices of your life. You think about it, you have been taking care of yourself for a long time. You know, since birth, you know, maybe somebody took care of you, but then you began doing things on your own and putting these practices in your life to take care of yourself. This might be a very simple example, but imagine your own personal tradition of brushing your teeth. You know, what's your tradition? You know, do you use a specific kind of toothbrush? Maybe an electric one? Maybe a manual one? You know, what kind of toothpaste do you use? Do you have a specific kind that it must be? You know, what, what place does brushing your teeth fall in the order of other hygienic activities? You have this personal pattern that's in your life, your tradition of brushing your teeth. And you just know that if you go to bed and you don't brush your teeth, the world is not right. Right? That's your personal tradition. And our, our lives are filled with our personal tradition of things. And so you think about when we are made spiritually alive, it's like here we're spiritually alive now, but it's coming into all these personal traditions of our life, these habits and patterns and practices. And some of them fit really well. Like I think your new spiritual life says, awesome, thank you for brushing your teeth. So good that you do that. But there might be other things that your spiritual life is like, hey, can we not put that into the body? Because I know that it gave you some comfort or pleasure or enjoyment, but it's not actually helping. And now there's some conflict between the spiritual life and some of the old practices. Think about all these ways that 
you took care of yourself and tried to stuff stuff into that God-shaped vacuum of your heart. Those practices now are in conflict with this spiritual life. If you think about it this way, you think about your body has some basic needs for food, water, clothing, shelter. Just your body needs that. And those needs will continue joined together with your spiritual life. And you think about this new spiritual life. It also has some basic needs, some things that you need to do to tend to it, to nourish it, to grow it. And so we need to begin doing some personal traditions that feed your spiritual life. Jesus talked about it this way when he said, people cannot live on bread alone, but they live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, of course, bread for the body, we need that to live. But there's also your spiritual life that needs nourishment. It needs to be taken care of and for it to grow. So the question is, what personal traditions do you participate in in your life just to take care of your body? And what are your personal traditions that you participate in to take care of your spiritual life, to nourish it, for it to grow? You know, Holy Saturday, this day of waiting, day of uncertain future, day potentially of darkness, the temptation on Holy Saturday is to focus on the body and to say, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die. Focus on enjoying things now. And the temptation is to give up on the spiritual life. The temptation is to say, ah, that's, I don't see that in me. It's not a clear thing. How do I nourish it? And just not pay attention to it. You know, to to give up on the eternal silence of God, to give up on this faith, this belief in God's promises, just to give up. That's the Holy Saturday temptation. You know, as people have been following God in the way of Jesus for 2,000 years, there's been all kinds of practices of the faith that have developed over these years. These time-tested ways that people have nourished and nurtured their spiritual life. You know, and kind of just as a high level thinking about this, but here at Platt Park Church, you know, we don't have membership. You know, we don't have this thing where you do and you're a member. But we generally say, you are a member if you do these practices, if you put your life into these things. So if you attend worship service, if you participate in a small group, if you serve, if you give financially, I'm now adding a fifth one. If on Easter you sit in the balcony and park far away, (laughs) you are a member. But what happens in doing these things, these practices of the faith, by simply putting them into your life and, and doing them over and over until they become a personal tradition in your life, when you do that, you're simply saying, I'm pointing my life toward God, and I'm becoming available to God. You know, in whatever situation you're in, if it's a a crisis and you're waiting and wondering and crying out to God, or it's in the good, joyful times, but you point your life towards God and say, God, here I am. I'm present to you. I'm listening. I'm available. We point ourselves toward God so that he can connect with us. 
You know, one of my favorite phrases is this phrase, practices of the faith. These are these time-tested activities of the church that have just proven themselves over and over to be useful for nourishing the spiritual life, for putting us in a place where we have our best opportunity to connect with God. And through repetition of these things, the practice of these things, we establish our personal tradition until it becomes so part of our life that it's like brushing our teeth. If we skip it, we feel like our life is out of order. They become so important to us. You know, the goal, the goal of this is for our spiritual life, for us to become more and more like Christ. You know, for the life of Christ and our image of God that we were made in to just become more and more our reality. And so as our spiritual life grows into every part of our being, into our body, filling our mind, filling our heart, and as God takes his spot, filling that God-shaped vacuum in our heart, that's when we feel fulfilled. We feel whole and complete. And we find that place of satisfaction. So hopefully, if you transition into new birth, your spiritual life, and you establish traditions for the practice of your faith and the nourishment of your spiritual life, then the result is transformation. Transformation. And transformation is our spiritual life seeping into every aspect of our life so that we begin living heaven now, which is amazing that we begin, as soon as we have this spiritual life, we begin living heaven here now on earth. I've always been fascinated by the Apostle Paul and his story of transformation. So the Apostle Paul, of course, he's like the superstar of the early church, right? He's the guy and famous and doing all these amazing things. But what's amazing is his personal experience of transformation. It can be a little bit confusing. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is holy Saturday stuff. You know, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Some people speculate it might have been poor eyesight. That's why people had to write his letters for him and then he would just sign at the end. But could you imagine the incredible disappointment for Paul to be out and to be this conduit of God healing people and doing miracles, casting out demons, these amazing things. And then God said, and Paul says to God, God, will you take this thorn from me? And God says, no. What an incredible disappointment to work through, <laughs> to wait through, to keep pointing 
Paul, for Paul to keep pointing his life toward God. And I feel that same disappointment. When I cry out, God, fix this, make this better, take this away, and God does not do it. And yet, it is then in those precise things that God does not take away that God meets me with his strength. Because in my weakness, I'm then able to receive from God's strength. You know, Holy Saturday is waiting. It's not always getting what you want, but waiting for God and looking toward him. And a little over six years ago, I did my dad's funeral. And at my dad's funeral, I said, you know, my dad and I were kind of like oil and water. And people who knew both of us chuckled at that and thought that was very accurate. You know, my dad, my dad was extremely musical, and I am extremely not musical. And my dad is a, was a perfectionist, and I live more in a world of creative chaos. And my dad, when we'd go fishing, he wore a glove so that he would not have to touch the fish. And I was just glad to go fishing with my dad. You know, I suppose our relationship was a bit of a holy Saturday. Wanting more, hoping for something different, maybe thinking that it could be in a different way. But instead, we just kind of bumped into each other. You know, I knew my dad loved me, and I hope my dad knows that I loved him. But this is the gift my dad gave Susie and I at our wedding. He read this wedding blessing which maybe you've heard this before at a wedding, but it really speaks to this idea of holy Saturdayness in marriage, and it translates over to everything else in life, to work just every day. Here's what my dad, and I'm going to close with this, read at our wedding as a blessing. May they not expect the perfection of each other that belongs to alone to you. May they minimize each other's weaknesses, be swift to praise and magnify each other's strengths and beauty, and see each other through a lover's kind and patient eyes. Give them a little something to forgive each day that they may grow in the grace of long-suffering and love. And may they be forbearing with each other's omissions and commissions as you are with theirs. Make such assignments to them according to your will as will bless them and develop their character as they walk together. Give them enough tears to keep them tender, enough hurts to keep them humane, enough of failure to keep their hands clenched tightly in yours, and enough success to make them sure they belong to you. May they never take each other's love for granted, but always experience that breathless wonder that exclaims, out of all this world, you have chosen me. Amen.